Salt and light. Salt and light. How are you going? Are you feeling any saltier since the start of the year? Are you feeling any brighter since the start of the year? Because that's what uh, the focus, of course, is for this year. Salt and light. Now, I guess it's easy to be salty, easy to be bright and be a light for Jesus and show his love when things are going well. But we've already heard this morning um, through Luke and through Adam that sometimes life doesn't go so well. But God's love is constant through that. And we're going into a new series at church that encourages us to realise that we can be salt and light even when things aren't going so well. And we know that there are people who go through challenging times. And we go through times where we feel dry. Perhaps not today. (laughs) But spiritually dry. Where we feel we've got nothing in the tank, nothing left to give. And there's times where we have these pressures in our lives. And we can hardly even think about what we're going to do tomorrow, let alone being salt and light. But Jesus says in Matthew, you are the salt of the world. You are the light. And there's no conditions around that. It doesn't say if things are going well in your life, if you feel you've got plenty in reserve, then go out and be the salt to the world. And if everything's smooth and you're in a good place, then go and be the light. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are light to the world. And we can be those things even when the going gets tough. And the reason we can be those things when the going gets tough is because being salt and light to the world does not come out of anything within us. God is the originator of that salt and that light. And we're just the channels to let it flow through. And so even if life is tough for us, even if we're going through difficulties, that love that he has for the earth can be shown through us. Our job is simply to be an open channel. So we're going to have a look at some characters in the Old Testament who were salt and light when the going was tough, when they were under pressure, when they were feeling dry and see what they've learnt and what they can teach us about being salt and light in those times. You know, I think that when life is hard, that's when we can be saltier and we can be brighter because often when someone's going through a difficult time in their life, Eyes are on them and people are looking to see how they respond. And if they're known to be a Christian, then people will be wondering, well, how do they respond to this? And that's a chance when we really can glorify God. The character I want to look at this morning is Job. When we're talking about difficult times, Job comes to mind. The book of Job is in the Old Testament near Psalms, and in a sense it stands alone. It's a story about a man who had many things, lost them, wrestled with God, and was finally restored again. And it's grouped under what's called the wisdom books of the Bible. 
including Proverbs, Psalms, the Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. No one knows who wrote Job. No one knows when the book was written. Some scholars say it could have even been the very first book of the Bible to be written in a chronological sense. Some say maybe Job himself was the author, but we don't really know. But as the story opens, Job is described as a person who worshipped God and is faithful to him. He's very careful in every aspect of his life not to do evil. He has seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 donkeys and a large number of servants. He was the richest man in the east. His sons and daughters held big feasts. And after each feast, Job would offer a sacrifice to God just in case they had unintentionally offended God in any way. He was a careful man, careful to live a godly and righteous life. The story goes on to say that Satan comes before God and God brings Job to Satan's attention. Have you noticed this man Job? He's a wonderful person, faithful to me, loyal to the end. But Satan argues that Job is only good because God has blessed him abundantly. And he challenges God that if he's given permission to punish Job and to remove all these things in his life, that Job will soon turn his back on God and curse him. God allows Satan to torment Job, to test his claim, but he forbids Satan to take Job's life. So, in the course of one day, Job receives four messages, each bearing separate news, that his livestock, his servants, and his ten children have all died due to raiding invaders or natural catastrophes. It's a common belief that the book of Job is about our response towards suffering. And indeed it is. However, keep in mind that the initial challenge from Satan is that Job only worshipped God because of all that he has. For Job, life is good. In fact, life is great. But if this is removed, will Job still be faithful to God? So I think the book is really asking the question, on what do you base your faith in God? Is it as strong in the good times as it is in the bad times? Is your faith strong because your life is good? Your home, your job, your family... Maybe your status amongst your peers or your sense of purpose that you have or your achievements or your reputation. Do you look at those things in your life and say, God has blessed me, therefore I will worship him. The Bible does tell us that all good gifts come from God and they are a blessing to us. However, we'll see as we look at the story of Job that he had an unshakable faith that was not based on possessions or circumstances. This is salt and light. To be able to proclaim 
in the midst of intense suffering or uncertainty about the future, that God is good, that there is an unshakable trust in him. You know, that God doesn't really care a lot about the fringe benefits in our life. How many cattle or sheep or camels or cars, the kind of clothes we have, which restaurant we dine at. What really matters to him is that our life is devoted to him, regardless of the stuff that surrounds us. And it's easy to be mistaken and look at the lives of other people and think, wow, God has blessed them. Look at all they have. Look at who they are. But the real blessing is in someone's deep and personal relationship with God. I think it's important to understand that. The blessing in Job's life was because of who God was to him, not for any other reason. So back to the test. Was Job's wealth and blessings the basis for his devotion to God? Let's see what the Bible says in Job chapter 1 verse 20. Just after Job had heard all of this devastating news of his losses, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Can you imagine the faith that would be required for someone in the midst of absolute devastation to say, praise the name of the Lord. I guess human tendency is to try and find someone or something to blame. Job didn't blame God. But right from the time of Adam and Eve, and right through the Bible and into everyday life, people liked to find something to blame. We don't want to be responsible for our own actions, even if it means we overlook our own part. But you know what happens when you blame someone? You place them in a position that's against you rather than with you. If I blame you for something, then all of a sudden it's me versus you. If I take responsibility for myself, then together we can work through a situation. You think about that in relationship to God. If we blame God for the adversities that we face, we're placing ourselves at odds with God. God, you're no longer on my side because you did this to me. You could have prevented it. It's your fault. It's me versus you. And that prevents us from allowing God to walk through the hardship with us. We can't be salt and light to a world that needs to see God in us if we're going to close ourselves off to the source of the salt and light. Job couldn't figure out why he was facing such great difficulties and he even cursed the day he was born and wished he never had been born. But he did not turn his back on God. At one point, Job even acknowledges God might kill him but he would still trust him. That must be the ultimate in trust. I trust you with my life, but if you take it, 
I'm going to trust you anyway. What a challenge. But for Job, things go from bad to worse. When Satan asks permission to ramp it up a little bit. And this time he's allowed to attack Job's body. But he still can't take his life. Job is afflicted with painful sores all over his body. And the Bible says that he took a piece of broken pottery from a rubbish heap to scrape away at the sores. It's not a very pleasant image, is it? In chapter 2, verse 9, Job's wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Now note that he didn't say you are a foolish woman. (laughs) Not good. (laughs) But rather you're talking like one. Should we only accept good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Take the good and the bad. Job knew in his heart that God is love, as Joel was reminding us this morning. And it didn't change according to what was happening around Job. God is love when the sun shines. God is love when the days are wet and gloomy. And it's an amazing certainty, isn't it, to know that God is love despite what's happening around. And I think it must break God's heart to see us during the stormy times of our lives And rather than reaching out to God, we duck for cover and try and do it alone. I think of a friend who was going through some incredibly challenging times with the family. And it seemed that when the family would just get on top of one of these issues, another major one would arise. She described it like being in a tunnel... But there was no light at the end. But she said she was learning that God's presence was with her in that dark tunnel. And that she could give thanks in the darkness. She could praise God in the darkness. To me that conversation was salt and light. Challenging me to think Even in dark times, we don't have to wait for that light to appear before we can praise God, but we can praise him right here and right now. From that point in Job's story, some friends come to the scene. And at first they sit in silence for seven days with Job. And I've heard it said that was the wisest thing they could have done. Sometimes suffering is too deep for words. And no one wants to hear advice or a lecture. And they just sat with him. However, they couldn't remain silent forever. And beginning in chapter 3, there's a series of speeches and responses. Each friend talking in turn, giving their advice, giving their opinion of the situation. And after each one, Job responding to that. The speeches grow in intensity. They're increasing at being pointed towards Job with each new speaker. You see, the friends assume that God rewards good and punishes evil. And the calamities that fall on Job 
are a clear sign that he has been sinful. Job argues that point. He says, no, that can't be right. I've only ever sought to live a good light, a life. But Job's at a loss to explain why the troubles have occurred. Job challenges their thinking, they push back. Job even challenges God, asking why. Just tell me what this is all about. Though he never loses faith in God. The interesting thing is that after time, the focus of the argument is not the points that the friends have raised, but rather the arrogance that they have, believing their point is right. And so the argument comes down to more, well, I'm right and you're wrong. They're too stubborn to see that perhaps Job could really be innocent and the tragedies that have fallen on him are not because he's done anything wrong. And of course, Job and his friends are totally unaware of the bigger picture of this story, the challenge of Satan. And when we're in difficulties, it can be the same for us. We try and figure out what is happening and why. But we always always must bear in mind that we are part of God's larger purposes at work. And sometimes we have no understanding of that. There are greater answers than why. And at times, if that's where our focus is, we're wasting our thoughts and our energy. As I mentioned, Job can trust even when he doesn't understand. His was an honest search for truth. But the friends would not allow for truth, for it being bigger than their own understanding of it. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 reminds us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And while much of the theology of the friends is correct, their application of it is false. They only used ideas about God to validate their own points of view rather than to allow the truth about God to change their point of view. They don't speak accurately about God. In other words, they were making God fit their understanding rather than allowing God to create a new understanding in them. At the end of the book of Job, in chapter 42, God actually speaks and he says, I'm angry with you and your two friends. He's talking to the friends. Because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has done. The friends thought they were being salt and light. They thought, we'll give Job some enlightenment, some further understanding in the situation. And there's a lesson in that for us too. When we speak to other people about God, are we speaking truth or using elements of truth for our own purpose? It's easy to form an opinion and find some random out-of-context Bible verses to back us up. It's back to front. Our understanding of God and his word should be the basis of the opinions that we formed. I guess this side of heaven, our understanding of God will never be complete. 
But there are truths that we can hold on to as our understanding grows. And these truths can help us through these difficult times. Truth, God is love. And that doesn't change. Truth, God is faithful and just. And that doesn't change. Truth, God is all-knowing. He understands what's happening, though we may not. Truth, God is all-powerful. Another truth, God desires to be in relationship with us. So much so that he's prepared to sacrifice his only son. These are truths that we can hang on to in difficult times, even though we don't know exactly what's going on. Back to Job. After 35 chapters of debate, back and forth, tiresome you might say, the arguments are at a dead end. No one's going anywhere. They're just getting more and more upset with one another. And a fourth person enters a conversation. This fourth person is the original angry young man. He's been listening to the wisdom of the older people. And then with some degree of indignation, he butts into the conversation and points out they're getting nowhere because they're all wrong. And as a younger person, he was expecting to learn something from the older people, but he hasn't done that. They are, in fact, quite off the track. They are wrong. He explains that God would pay no attention to them. People like Job aren't a concern of God. And he lists all these excellent reasons why they should not expect an answer from God. When all of a sudden, God breaks into the conversation. God doesn't give any answers though to the myriad of questions that have been asked, all the different points that have been debated. God doesn't go through the list and answer them one by one. But in the last few chapters of the book of Job, God simply asks questions back to them. And in doing so, he highlights his wisdom, his power, his majesty, He takes that whole conversation to a whole new level. And he points out that the very best and most clever understanding of man is absolutely nothing compared to God. This is enough for Job. He realizes that his own concept of God has been far too small. That he's perhaps been a bit arrogant towards God in demanding answers. Gaining a deeper understanding of God is enough for Job. He no longer needs an answer to the question, why did this happen to me? He realises it's a false belief to think that an answer to the why question would put him in a better place. He knows that God doesn't have to answer our whys. It's sufficient for him to know that God is powerful And there, in the good times and the bad, 
He knows he's been blessed. He has a greater understanding of God, a greater appreciation of who God is. The story continues. We read that Job is healed of the sores, that God restores Job's wealth and status in the community. Job and his wife have seven more sons, three more daughters, many children, many grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and he lives to 140 years old. Throughout the Bible, we don't hear anything more of Job. He gets a brief mention in Ezekiel and also a brief mention in the New Testament book of James. In James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What the Lord finally brought about. Don't be mistaken. What God finally brought out wasn't more cows and cattle and camels and a restored status in the community. It wasn't more sons and daughters and and grandchildren and so forth. Though those things were a blessing from God. What God brought about was in Job a renewed understanding and appreciation of him. Challenges that we have in life don't always have a fairy tale ending. And I think we're misguided if we seek that. What we need to seek is deeper relationship with God. And if God brings that about in your life through challenges, the fringe benefits don't really matter. Some key points in this story. We can be salt and light in tough times. Job trusted in God. That did not shift. That is a key point if we're going to be salt and light through the challenges. Two sad stories of, um, of people who died. There was a, uh, a young boy, 25 years old, and some of you knew him. And uh, he died totally unexpectedly. And I recall at his funeral, as grief-stricken as his parents were, that their clear trust in God came through. And that as they've dealt with that grief over the years, their love for God hasn't changed. Their devotion to God, their understanding of God has only increased. To me, that's salt and light. Another sad story, a young mum, a wife, her and her husband had four kids. The youngest was only a baby when she died to cancer. And I remember her husband, a strong Christian man who I admire greatly, also speaking at her funeral, expressing the love and the goodness of God. That is salt and light in a more powerful way than any other. Trusting in God. Another key point in this story, Job only spoke the truth about God. 
And if we're going to be salt and light in these difficult times, then we must make sure what we're saying of God is truth. And the final point about being salt and light in tough times from the story of Job is rather than ask the why question, get to know who. Put the why on hold, draw close to God. I'd like to finish this message now by getting to know who a little more. I'll get the band to come up, please. Shortly we're going to finish by singing Christ is Enough for Me. What a wonderful song, a wonderful way to wrap up the things we've been hearing this morning. But as the band are getting ready and playing quietly in the background there, I want to hear some verses from the end of the book of Job. These are the questions that God asked of Job and his friends saying, you're all so clever, you guys all know so much, answer these questions. He says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like men, because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined the world's dimensions and stretched out the surveying line to measure them? Are you getting this picture of God already? This mighty, amazing person who loves us so much and who created the world and put things in place. God says... If you know so much, tell me what supports the foundations of the earth? Who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst forth from the womb? As I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further. Your proud waves must stop here. Isn't he an awesome God? God who commands the sea to be in its place and tells it where it should go. God says to Job, Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Well, no, we haven't. We just see it come up and see it set at the end of the day. God is the one who does that. God says, have you ever visited the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of hail? He asks, where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created a channel for torrents of rain? Who lays out the path for the lightning to strike? Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass spring up? Can you direct the constellations across the seasons 
or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? And can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you make the lightning appear? Can you make it strike where you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart? Who gives instinct to the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven? Those verses go on and on over those few chapters. God goes on to talk about the animals that we have and how they live and how they respond and how they interact. He talks further about mankind. Just challenge after challenge after challenge. And I love reading through those verses. It just paints this amazing picture of this almighty God. And who are we to question him? Our job is to get to know him. But I love also reading in Psalm 8. Psalm 8 talks about all of God's creation, the majesty, the wonder of it. But you know, the crowning glory in God's creation, the thing that he holds most dearly, you know what that is? It's us. It's us. Psalm 8 reminds us strongly about that. So even though God is mighty and powerful and all-knowing, he cares for you more than anything else. That's the blessing that Job learned. That's what he knows. And that's the blessing that can go with us when we also are having challenges. We can be salt and light to a world who sees how we respond, sees our undying love for God, our faithfulness despite the odds. That is salt and light. That is salt and light. Christ is all that we need. Christ is enough. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your love is eternal. Through the good and the bad. Father, I pray that we will draw closer to you. That we will have a deeper understanding and appreciation of who you are. That our love for you will just grow and grow and grow. Father, for those who are going through difficult times, be with us, walk beside us. And I pray that we never quit being salt and light, that the love we have for you will come through loud and strong to a world that needs it. Thank you that Jesus died for us, that he is enough. Amen.